The first reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 to 4, and can be found on the Pew Bibles on page 686. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. John 15, 9 to 17. So it's John 15, 9 to 17. And do please excuse me if I'm emotional. I have my son in the audience today. So I'm quite moved by the whole service so far. <coughs> I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. <clears throat> it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. 17. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have objected to my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you, Greater love hath no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I have learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. This morning we think particularly about the end of World War I, a war in which 16 million people died. And by the end of 
that war that we mark today, 700,000 British men had fought and died for our country. Portsmouth lost 5,988 men in the First World War. About two-thirds died on the battlefields of France and Belgium. A third were sailors who went down with their ships in the sea battles that went from the very first to the very last days of the conflict. The greatest single loss was at the Battle of Jutland, where the two grand fleets of Britain and Germany clashed in 1916. On that day, our city lost 534 men, probably the greatest single loss of life this city has ever seen. But remembrance is not about numbers, it's about people. And for me, the best way to break through all of those numbers is to remember a person who was a son, a child, a brother, a friend. To realize what the loss of losing one person might mean and then try to comprehend or imagine how communities coped when they had to deal with the loss of so many. Of all those hundreds of thousands of men, there are 77 names on the war memorial just outside St. Jude's here. Names that we'll read a little later in the service. At the start of World War I, South Sea was still Portsmouth's most, most middle-class neighbourhood. And nearly half of the officers killed from Portsmouth came from South Sea. Children of the villas and mansions that had been built here in the Victorian era. And this particular story relates to a name that you will see commonly on the buildings of our city. In the early part of the last century, Portsmouth as a town, because we weren't made a city until 1926, boasted more pubs than any other urban area in the country. And one of the most prominent citizens at the time of World War I was Sir John Brickwood, whose brewery became one of the largest in the region. In 1910, Sir John Brickwood's company owned 245 pubs in the town, with his brewery just outside the gates of the dockyard. Sir John was a pillar of the community. He was friends with Arthur Conan Doyle, and for some, most importantly, he was the founding chairman of Portsmouth Football Club in 1898. And he was part of the syndicate that brought the land that Fratton Park is built upon. He was a good man. <laughs> he lived in Branksmere, which is the big house just at the corner of Kent Road and Queen's Crescent, just a couple of roads away, just a couple of hundred yards down Kent Road. At the time it was built, it was one of the biggest houses in the whole city. They had eight full-time servants, and during the war, Sir John handed it over to be a hospital, and they fitted 70 beds into the house to look after men who'd been injured. Sir John's eldest son, Arthur, was born on the 1st of November, 1896, and grew up in these streets. Initially, Arthur went to Portsmouth Grammar School, where he achieved the accolade of coming bottom in his year in maths. He then went on to Charterhouse School in 1910, where he failed to shine academically, but he joined the Rifle Club. Arthur left school aged 17, 
and immediately applied to join the army. Initially, he was turned down because he was too small. His chest measurement was one and a half inches too small for him to be allowed into the army. But his father, Sir John Brickwood, pulled some strings in high places and the medical board reconsidered their decision and in early 1914, Arthur was accepted into Sandhurst College. As soon as the war started in August of 1914, Arthur's training was cut short and he arrived on the front line in France as a junior officer in February 1915. He was commanding men of the 1st Battalion of the Yorks and Lancasters, seasoned soldiers who'd returned from India to fight on the front line. It may be that the young Arthur was just not ready for combat, not tough enough to cope with the rigours of life on the front line, or he may have felt that he had to prove himself and kept going when he should have rested. But he soon became ill. Perhaps he was just unlucky. The Guardian paper reported, Lieutenant A.C. Brickwood, son of Sir John Brickwood of Portsmouth, died in hospital at Boulogne on the 15th of April, 1915. He was taken ill a few days ago at the front, where he had been fighting in the trenches for some time. On April the 16th, his parents received a personal telegram from Lord Kitchener, the Secretary of State for War, expressing his sympathy. And Arthur's family were allowed to bring his body back to be buried in the family burial area in Surrey. Arthur's name is the third one on our memorial outside. Brickwood, A.C. He spent just two months in active service. He was 18 years old when he died. This is just one story of one life cut short, of one family devastated, of one name on one memorial. The First World War was different from any other war because for the first time the slaughter of men happened on an industrial level. Armies were locked in trench warfare for years on end. And one part of the misery was caused by a very simple invention. The invention was barbed wire that was developed in America on the ranches of America to keep cattle in to stop them from straying. But in the First World War, it was used to keep men out so that those who ran across no man's land would be held up and prevented from reaching their objectives. I've asked a couple of the young men to come out and help me to unravel this because it's a bit spiky and a bit prickly. I've got some gloves for them to wear. So we didn't do a health and safety assessment of this, but hopefully Jack and Tyler are going to survive. Let's have a look. Okay, so someone take one end. Brilliant. So barbed wire was used quite simply to prevent people from getting where they wanted to go. It was put up between the troops. In some places, by the end of the war, there were coils that were 100 yards deep, coils that were feet high. And in places, they were set up to create funnels so that men would be forced into areas where machine guns could 
bear down on them and create the most casualties. It's estimated in 1918 that at least a million miles of barbed wire was set up along the Western Front, enough to encircle the world 40 times. There were times when men would throw themselves onto the barbed wire so that their friends would be able to run across their backs in order to escape the hail of bullets. This is why we use that verse so often, that greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for their friends. Today we come together to honour the sacrifice, to give thanks for the courage and commitment of those who have fought and died so that our nation can be free. And we're supposed to learn from history, from what has happened, to make sure that tragedies like this war never happen again. But history repeats itself because no one is listening. History repeats itself, it has to because no one is listening. Today we mark the end of the Great War, the war that was to be the end of all wars, but we all know that within a generation, young men and women were going into dangerous situations again, and our city would be devastated by the bombing of the Second World War. Today we mark the end of the Great War, the time when it came to roll up the barbed wire. Let's see if we can roll it up again. Thank you. See if you can roll it up into that tight ball again. That's it. Watch out. Let me, let me take it. Brilliant. Thank you, boys. You can leave the gloves. Fantastic. So there was a time when it came to roll up all of the barbed wire, to fill in the trenches and the tank traps and the tunnels. There was a time when the war ended it was time to roll up the wire. And as it's rolled up, it reminds us of a man who came to say that there was another way, that there was a way of love that might work in this world, that would get rid of all the wars, that would stop the need for weapons, that there might be a day when swords were beaten into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. There was a man who wore a crown that looked like this. He wore a crown on his head. He was sent into battle by a loving father and he fought and he struggled against incredible odds in order to win us a victory, to show that love was the strongest force in the whole of the universe. And yet as we live in this world today, there seem to be so many divisions and there are more and more as we look around us. There are so many more barriers between people rather than rolling things up and working together. There are greater divisions between rich and poor, between right and left, between remainers and leavers, between those on the inside and those on the outside, between those who have hope and those who have none. The answer is not to put up more barriers, not to create stronger borders, not to build the wall, build the wall, build the wall. That's not the way forward, is it? Whether it's between nations or the hearts of individuals, Jesus came to show us when he wore a crown of thorns that he was taking out of the world all the pain that we didn't need to suffer. 
we still need brave men and women to defend our freedoms, but we must not leave the provision of peace to them. Each one of us are called to seek peace and pursue it, to follow Jesus in breaking down the barriers and pulling down the walls. And in this year of mission for our church, we need to speak clearly about the peace that Jesus brings, a peace which passes all understanding, a peace that changes who we are and how we live, a peace that's worth fighting for, a peace that we need to share if we want to end the evil and injustice of this world. Greater love has no one than he lay down his life for his friends. This is the sign that peace can triumph over violence and evil. This is the sign that we need to share that peace and that blessing amongst those around us to build bridges and not barriers, to live in love and never in hatred.